Well, tomorrow is Independence Day here in the United States, uh, the 4th of July, a day of celebrating across our land. And so I dropped out of our normal for what has been for us here in 2022, our teaching through the Gospels, the chronological journey through the Gospels. I dropped out of that for one week to look at Isaiah 61 and the garments of salvation because Isaiah uh, mentions the liberty that Jesus Christ brings in this prophecy. Jesus himself quotes from verses 1 and 2 of Isaiah 61 when he began his ministry. So this is a key Old Testament prophecy that Jesus himself connected it to himself. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to question. Jesus said after reading uh, verse 1 and a portion of verse 2, today this has been fulfilled in your sight. So we know the beginning of this is talking about Jesus, ultimately talking about some of the second coming of Jesus and the first coming of Jesus and um, the restoration of the nation of Israel. But some good things that we can learn from the book of Isaiah chapter 61, and I believe tie it to our nations, to our nation today. So in a speech delivered by John Quincy Adams on the 61st anniversary of the Declaration of Independence, July 4th, 1837, Adams read from Isaiah 8, verse 2, not 61, but Isaiah 8, verse 2. He didn't have the New King James back then because it didn't exist. So what he read, it went this way. Say ye not a confederacy to all them to whom this people shall say a confederacy. Neither fear ye their fear, nor be afraid. And then he went on to say, Why is it, friends, fellow citizens, that you are assembled? Is it not that in the chain of human events, the birthday of the nation is, in, is linked with the birthday of the Savior? That informs a leading event in the progress of the gospel dispensation. Is it not that the Declaration of Independence first organized a social compact on the foundation of the Redeemer's mission upon the earth, that it laid the cornerstone of human government upon the first precepts of Christianity and gave to the world the first irrevocable pledge, irrevocable pledge of the fulfillment of the prophecies announced directly from heaven at the birth of the Savior and predicted by the greatness of the Hebrew prophets 600 years before. So the New King James reads it this way, and I'm going to add verse 13 as well. Isaiah 8, verses 12 and 13. Do not say a conspiracy concerning all this people, call a conspiracy, nor be afraid of their threats or be troubled. The Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. Now, Isaiah was not to get caught up in the conspiracy theories of his day that were swirling around him. He was not to fear the threat of men, of war, of trouble that seemed to loom over their nation. Instead, he was to get caught up in howling and fearing God. 
And sometimes I believe that we are in danger of the fears, the conspiracies, the confederacy, and we forget to fear and hollow God. And whether they're talking about the conspiracies of 185 years ago, in John Quincy Adams' day, and the threats surrounding the coming of Jesus Christ around 2,000 years ago, or the troubles that Isaiah dealt with more than 2,600 years ago, we find that conspiracies, threats, troubles have always been part of every great society. And today there are various conspiracies, there are threats, there are troubles that continually swirl around us. But these are not to be our focus nor our fear. Like Isaiah, we are to hollow God. We're to fear God and his son, Jesus Christ, who will judge this world, either sending the guilty to perdition or setting the captives free. The word of God tells us in Psalm 34, 9, Oh, fear the Lord, you saints. There is no want to those who fear him. And 246 years ago, I know I put 245 years ago in our bulletin. That was my bad. 246 years ago, our founding fathers desired freedom from the tyranny of England, their rule over them. They desired freedom. They sought God's help to gain it. And after eight, some say nine years of war, their dream of forming a free and independent states was finally recognized. And we want to, with looking at Isaiah 61 today, I'm going to be reading some quotes from our founding fathers and one of the great preachers of years gone by uh, throughout this message. So just kind of meshing in some of the events of our history as a country, but also the very word of God, as we'll look at here in Isaiah 61. I titled this message, The Garments of Salvation. And we're going to look at in verses 1 through 3, the God's head work of salvation. Verses 4 through 7, the servants of God. Verses 8 and 9, the everlasting covenant. And verses 10 and 11, clothed and covered. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 and open us in prayer for the teaching of God's word today and also pray for the offertory this morning as well. Isaiah 61 verses 1 through 3 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And Father, I pray that you would teach us through your word this day, a passage, Lord, that dates back some 2,600 years ago. But I believe, Lord, that we can apply even to our own lives and to our own country this day. We pray these things in the name of our precious Savior, Jesus. We also ask, Father, that you would bless the offerings given to this fellowship. We thank you, Lord, for 
the past years of provision. 30 years ago at this time, Lord, the church was being remodeled, preparing for an opening Sunday that would take place in December of 1992. And Lord, for 30 years plus now, you have been providing for this church, this church family of Calvary Chapel of Lake Villa. And we pray, Father, that you would continue to do so, not only to help us with the current work that we are doing, but to prepare us for the future work that you would have us to do in preparing this place for the next generation of worshipers who will worship here. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Jesus quoted this when he went to the synagogue of Nazareth. We looked at this a few months ago. But in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, you don't have to turn there. We find the very same thing being read to us from Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. He only left out the second portion of verse 2. But what he did read, he talked about the Spirit of the Lord being upon him. One of the first things we notice about this passage is that the, all three persons of the Godhead are mentioned here in Isaiah chapter 61 in Luke 4, verse 18. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit of the Lord God, God the Father, is upon me, Jesus Christ the Son. In those opening words of this passage, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, all being mentioned here. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Christ our Savior speaking these words in the synagogue of Nazareth. And they were upon him, the empowering of the Holy Spirit was upon the Lord Jesus Christ that he might preach the gospel to the poor. And it is true that the poor may often be neglected in this life, but they were, they are not neglected by Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He was not only empowered to preach the gospel to the poor, but secondly, to heal the brokenhearted. And the word here used for healing it speaks about the setting of a bone, but here it's related to the setting of liberty, maybe the healing of a person's emotional state. And God wants to heal the brokenhearted. Psalm 147.3 says he heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. He was also to proclaim liberty to the captives. This is why I actually began in Luke chapter 4 when I began preparing this message, but this one phrase to proclaim liberty. And tomorrow we're Independence Day. It was a proclamation of liberty, of freedom here in our nation. It's why I chose this passage today to look at. And to proclaim liberty, that word to proclaim, it means to herald, to proclaim, to preach. And in this world, there are a lot of different types of captivities. People are in physical captivity. They're maybe in um, emotional captivity, spiritual bondage. But there is no greater captivity than one's own soul. And Jesus Christ has come to proclaim liberty to the captives. Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14. He has delivered us 
from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin. We have that liberty in Christ Jesus our Lord for those who have received Jesus Christ as their Savior. He also said to open the prison to those who are bound. And we could certainly speak about those who are in physical prisons alive today. Um, We know in the book of Acts, uh, Paul and Silas were literally shaken out of a prison. The earthquake happened and their cell doors opened and their chains fell off. They did not leave the prison at that moment, but the prison was open for them. Instead, God had a greater work to do in that situation where the Philippian jailer who came in to see and thinking that all his prisoners had escaped, thinking that he would take his own life rather than face the punishment, which would have certainly been death. Uh, Paul and Silas called out to him and said, do not harm yourself. We are all here. They had been captivated by the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ not only set the Philippian jailer free on that day, but his whole family was baptized that day. But it could be that this is actually talking about the time Jesus died and before he resurrected from the grave. The word of God tells us that when he died, he was buried. But in Ephesians 4, verses 8 through 10, Paul would write, When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. And how now this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended from above all heavens that he might fill all things. Those three days and three nights in the grave, Jesus Christ went to the heart of the earth and he went to that place in the Old Testament. It's called Shield in the New Testament, referred to as Hades. And it seems to be by reading scripture and putting things together that those who died looking forward to the coming Messiah before Jesus came, there were they were put in this place jesus called it paradise when he hung upon the cross he wasn't talking about being in heaven to that thief that hung on the cross where he said this day you'll be with me in paradise he was talking about this place either shield or hades we learn in the parable of lazarus and the rich man that there was a great gulf a division there in shield or Hades, shield is the Old Testament, Hades would be New Testament Greek, that there was the paradise side, the good side, and those who were suffering, waiting their final judgment, and a great gulf fixed between them. And the Word of God tells us that Jesus Christ came, He preached the gospel to those who were in that good place. He showed Himself, descended into the lower parts of the earth, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to open the prisons to those who are bound them there and set them free. Number five, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And Jesus would say of this today, this has been fulfilled in your sight. Speaking about the coming of Jesus Christ, his first and also his second coming, 
but the acceptable year of the Lord. Do you know that today is that accepted day as well? Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, in the acceptable time, I have heard you. In the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. For those who have never claimed Jesus Christ as their Savior, perhaps today is that day of salvation for you. Perhaps today, today is that acceptable time when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Now, in Luke 4, verses 18 and 19, Jesus didn't read the second half of verse 2, which goes on to say, to proclaim the day of vengeance. He didn't read that because that portion of the passage speaks about his second coming, not his first coming. At the first coming, Jesus didn't come to proclaim the day of vengeance of our God. But at his second coming, that is exactly what he will do. Second Thessalonians 1, verses 8 through 10, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God, on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day, that day, talking about the second coming, to be glorified in his saints, to be admired among all those who believed, because our testimony among you was believed. And then he goes on to speak about the work of Jesus Christ to those who believe, specifically to the nation of Israel here, to comfort all who mourn, to console, verse 3, those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, oil of joy for mourning, garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Do you know that when God does a work in our lives as Christians, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are not to get puffed up with pride. The Lord works in our lives that the Lord Jesus himself would be glorified because of the very works he does in and through our lives. So in contrast to his work of judgment, to those who are mourning, who have covered themselves in ashes, who have have this spirit of heaviness, Jesus then brings comfort, brings consolation, brings beauty, brings joy, and brings praise. And he does this that God the Father might be glorified. And perhaps you find yourself in a place where you've been in mourning. Maybe you're not physically covering yourself with ash, but you have that spirit of heaviness upon you. And Jesus Christ is able to bring comfort, consolation, beauty, joy, and praise to the glory of God our Father that we might be called the trees of righteousness, the plantings of the Lord. So the influence of prayer and the Bible as seen from the early days here when North America was just forming as colonies with the pilgrims coming to the inaugural address of the first president of the United States, Washington's use of the Bible during his inauguration, his reference to the fervent 
supplication to that almighty being during his address well it really speaks about the importance of prayer and the bible in the life of the first president but also those who came here from england to escape from the hardships that they found themselves in if you go to the capital in washington today and you go in that big rotunda and they have all those great large paintings and there's a specific painting of the pilgrims and the pilgrims surrounded by one of the men there with the bible held open and hold held down like this kind of and they do that for a purpose they want you to see what's written on it it's a big painting so you can read the bible um, they want you to see that they came over not with the king james bible but with the geneva bible um, and they specifically place it there and the Geneva Bible, King James wrote, had the King James Bible written because he did not like the commentary that was found in the Geneva Bible. And so he said, let's make a Bible without commentary, which is a very good thing. And they made a very good translation of the Bible, but he did not like the Geneva Bible. But there was a reliance upon the word of God, a reliance upon prayer by our early founding fathers and mothers. Vice President John Adams in his first year of office said concerning the importance of faith, morality in the newly formed United States, he said our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. And perhaps this is why the United States has seemed to try to duplicate itself in other countries around the world, and they create similar documents to give them democratic governments. But if they're lacking faith in God and the trust in Jesus Christ, these countries always fall back to what they, the bondage that they had once been in. I fear that we are coming into a place where our constitution may no longer be valid because no, we do not have that moral and religious people. Less people are believing in God today in our country than ever before. And it's only causing the hurt of our country. Today in our country, it's swirling with conspiracies, with threats, with troubles. And thankfully, Jesus not only came to save us spiritually, but he's called us to become trees of righteousness that we might be planted in this land to the glory of his Father. God can still work in spite of the unfaithful condition of our nation right now. Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8 says, Blessed be is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose hope is in the Lord. He shall be like a tree who's planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river. Will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaf will bring be green. He will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will he cease from yielding fruit. I tell you what, when I read this over this morning, and I had this message I wrote the message on Thursday. I went over it on Friday. I normally never touch them on Saturday. 
give my day my mind a break for a day and i read them over every sunday morning when i read jeremiah 17 verse 8 where he says he will not be anxious in the year of drought and i was thinking about our empty grocery shelves uh, different kind of drought but even talking about that take this as you may but i've heard it now two weeks in a row that there is going to be a shortage in diesel engine oil which means diesel trucks trains ships generators will not be able to do oil changes because there won't be enough supply for those maintenance and if they're unable to do the oil changes they'll only go so long before they wreck their engines and or take them out of service until the oil is there now think about that if you take away one-tenth 20 percent 30 percent or more of our trucking industry trains um, what that will do for our country so take it as you will the shortage is there uh, the chemicals they need to make these things um, because of natural circumstances also because of where they come from from other parts of the countries in the world the supply is just simply not there so they cannot produce unless suddenly the united states get up, gets on the ball and gets it together and madly starts producing these things there could be a drought coming so when i read these words do not be anxious about the drought i had a moan this morning a little oh the lord's saying don't be anxious it doesn't say we shouldn't be prepared maybe if we prepare we wouldn't be as anxious but be prepared as best you can there could be drought coming to this land for other reasons i said just a few weeks ago in a prophecy update that came from the word of god about the man who uh, escapes a bear to run into a lion to flee into his house to lean on the wall to be bitten by a snake <laughs> that it's how this 2022 has felt for me that it seems like we get through one thing there's another thing waiting for us we escape the bear we run into the lion we get into the safety of our home just to get bit by a serpent and it could be that there's another beast ready to strike and there'll be conspiracies threats troubles swirling around us but may we firmly plant ourselves in the liberty that jesus christ has afforded us as children of god when the rest of this nation goes crazy we need to be those planted trees of righteousness you look to a tree look around our property these trees that have been here some for over hundreds of years at least 150 years some of these oak trees you think of them as lasting and standing that's how we need to be those who are willing to stand in the days of trouble but stand because of our faith in god verses four through seven the servants of god he says they will rebuild the old ruins they shall raise up the former desolations they shall repair the ruined cities the desolations of many generations that verse struck me this week and i'll tell you why in a moment 
the desolations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and feed your flocks. The sons of the foreigners shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. But you shall be named the priest of the Lord. They shall call you the servants of our God. You shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, you shall have a double honor. Instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess double everlasting joy shall be theirs. Again, remember, Isaiah is talking about the nation of Israel. So the double portion is specifically referring to the children of Israel and not Christians. But we can share a little bit in that double portion. So properly talking about the children of Israel, we have to be careful not to spiritualize this too much to connect it to the church age. However, the promises that are here, we can hold on to and we can pray for. Truly, we are living in a day and age where those on the left are trying to tear down the founding principles that have guided our nation for these past 246 years. Could it be that these foundations will be torn down? I cannot envision the tribulation, the end time events taking place, the one world government happening apart from the United States either being taken out of play totally or diminished in such a way that we have little or no strength. I cannot envision it. It doesn't mean that God can't do it. But it seems like we refine ourselves in this nation if it's perfect in end times proper prophecy. Yet, while we await the Lord's coming, we should be praying to the Lord God that he would rebuild the old ruins, the former desolations, the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations, of many generations. This spoke to me because... We can go back five decades when on June 24th, 2022, one of the prayers that had been prayed by the saints for five decades was answered when the U.S. Supreme Court in a 6-3 decision ruled to uphold Mississippi law that would ban abortion after 15 weeks of preg pregnancy. With this ruling came a complete overturn of Roe versus Wade, a ruling that came from the courts back in January 22nd of 1973. And that rule favored in for abortion for nearly 50 years. Our country had been a culture of death. And in one day, there is hope that we are turning to become a culture of life. Some Christians have asked, and recently... If the U.S. needs to be removed to hasten the coming of Jesus, why should we be concerned about the downfall or death of our nation? Well, I'll give you three reasons why. First, we are to be concerned for the sake of our children and our children's children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, however many you may have. Proverbs 13:22 says, "A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous." So we're to be concerned because for our children, 
for our children's children, for our family's sake. We are to fight for righteousness and for what is right. Second, we are to be concerned because we have been called to pray for the peace of the cities where God has planted us. Jeremiah 29, 7 says, And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive. And I, I tell you, when I get my tax bill, every year I feel like I'm captive. I'm paying rent to live in my house right now of well over $800 a month. That is ridiculous. But that's just me been moaning. <laughs> Cause you to be carried. We're not captive. Well, yeah, you are. Carried away captive. Pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace, you will have peace. We're to pray for the peace of the cities where the Lord has planted us. Third, we're to be concerned because Jesus called us to do business until he comes. To the ten servants in his parable of the master who leaves ten minus to the ten servants, that master in Luke 19:13 says, Do business until I come. Our founding fathers and mothers left us a good inheritance, not a perfect inheritance, but a good inheritance where strangers and foreigners still flee to for refuge to this day. And we see it happening by thousands on the southern border today. Truly, many of the early founders understood that they were servants of God, that they had received a double blessing and that many have shared in their bounty. Charles Finney, one of the great evangelists of the 17th century, in his article, The Decay of Conscience, he published this on December 4th in 1873. And this is really hitting the preachers of our land. And he's talking to the pastors. Brethren, our preaching, our preaching will bear its legitimate fruits. If morality, let me read it all over again, and I'll do it better this time. I promise I'll try. Brethren, our preaching will bear its legitimate fruits. If immorality prevails in the land, the fault is ours in a great degree. If there is a decay of conscience, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the public presses lack moral discrimination. So if the public press lacks moral discrimination, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the church is denigrated and worldly, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the world loses its interest in religion, the pulpit is responsible for it. If Satan rules in our halls of legislation, the pulpit is responsible for it. If our politics become so corrupt that the very foundations of our government are ready to fall away. The pulpit is responsible for it. Let us not be ignorant to this fact, my dear brethren. Let us lay it to heart and be thoroughly awake to our responsibility in respects to the morals of this nation. In seeking to leave a good inheritance to our children, to our children's children, may we continue to pray for the peace of the United States, for the cities in which he has planted us. And may we continue to do our Christian business until Jesus takes us home. 
as servants of Christ, may we pray for God to rebuild, to raise up, to repair this nation, that we might know everlasting joy. Verses 8 and 9, the everlasting covenant, For I, the Lord, love justice, I hate robbery for burnt offering. I will direct their work in truth. I will make them an everlasting covenant. Their descendants shall be known among the Gentiles. Their offerings among the people. All those who see them shall acknowledge them that they are the prosperity from whom the Lord has blessed. Israel was heading toward the Babylonian captivity when Isaiah penned these words. This was because they had abandoned true justice and they had corrupted their offerings to the Lord, the burnt offerings specifically named here. The Lord said in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11, To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of the burnt offerings of the ram and the fat of the fed calf. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of the rams or of goats. The Lord loves justice. He hates robbery. And God is saying, as a people, though you've been continued to offer these sacrifices, you've been ripping me off and I've had it. They became those offerings because it wasn't true worship. Those offerings became troubling and very weary to God. But God promised to direct or guide their work in truth to make an everlasting covenant with them. Even though Israel was about ready to go into captivity, God said, I'm making an everlasting covenant with you. Jeremiah 32, 40, a prophet that saw the Babylonian captivity, preached about it before their nation was conquered. Speaking in the word of the Lord, Jeremiah 32, 40, he said, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from doing them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts that they will not depart from me. God still promised to work. Their nation had turned away from God. Their nation was about to go into captivity, but God still promised to work. I see in our nation today that many have turned away from God, but God is still promising to work in our land. Malachi 3.12 says, And all nations shall call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. George Washington's first attempt at retirement to kind of lead a private life was in 1783. He actually retired as the commander of the chief of the Continental Army. And in his circular to the states, he accounts, recounts the success of the war. He wrote this on Sunday, June 8th, 1783. He says, I now make, make it my earnest prayer that God would have you, the states over which you preside, in his holy protection, that he would incline the hearts of the citizens to cultivate the spirit of subordination and the obedience to the government, to entertain brotherly affection, to have love for one another, for their fellow citizens of the United States at large, and particularly 
for those, their brethren who have served in the field. And finally, that he would most graciously be pleased to dispose us all to justice, to love mercy, to demean ourselves to that charity, humility, a specific temper of mind, the characteristic of the divine offer, author of our blessed religion, without an humble imitation of those examples in these things, we can never hope to be a happy nation. Without an imitation, without imitating Christ. And what should we imitate? He specifically mentioned in this, referring to Micah 6, 8, where God says, He has shown you, O man, what is good, what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. And only by returning to a time when our nation was known for justice, truth, and mercy, can God bless this nation once again. And finally, that we would be clothed and covered, verses 10 and 11. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord, my soul, shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me in the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, as the bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the earth brings forth its bud, as the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. Today, it is through faith in Jesus Christ that God clothes us with the garments of salvation, with robes of righteousness. These clothings, these coverings, are compared to a bride and a, a groom uh, getting in their wedding attire. Every wedding that I have officiated or attended, been part of, they've always been a time of rejoicing. I have never participated in a shotgun wedding <laughs> where the bride really didn't want to be there. Never been part of that. They've always been joyous times. Such are, are we to be as the bride of Christ. Revelation 19, 7 and 8 says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And remember, Isaiah 61 deals with both the first and the second comings of Jesus Christ. Therefore, just as in the spring when the earth buds, when the gardens that are sown begin to bring forth fruit, Isaiah tells his people, that the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. And truly, one day, righteousness and praise will spring forth in all the earth when Jesus Christ returns. 1 Corinthians 3, 9 says, For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field. You are God's building. On July 4th, 1776, the Declaration of Independence was signed by two men, Thomas Jefferson and Charles Thompson. The majority of the document had been composed by Jefferson, which in the second par paragraph reads, 
we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men were created equal are created equal that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life liberty and the pursuit of happiness then after a long list of grievances against the king of england his governors the armies and the mercenaries the declaration of independence concludes with this paragraph we therefore the representatives of the united states of america in general congress assembled appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the restitute of our intentions due in the name by authority of the good people of these colonies solemnly published to declare that these united colonies are and of a right ought to be free and independent states that they are absolved from all allegiance to the british crown that all political connection between them and the states of the great britain is and ought to be totally dissolved and that as free and independent states they have full power to levy war conclude peace contract alliances establish commerce, to do all the other acts and things that independent states may have right to do for the support of this declaration with the firm reliance upon the protection of divine providence we mutually pledge to each other our lives our fortunes and our sacred honor our founding fathers desired freedom they sought god's help and after eight years of war they their dream of freedom was finally recognized today there is not a nation on the earth that does not know of the united states some see us as their great enemy in fact some call us the great satan others see us as a great hope i would argue that this great hope has been because of the not only the quest for life liberty and the pursuit of happiness but more so because our founding fathers and mothers placed their their hope in the savior god the divine author of our blessed religion the supreme judge of the world that firm reliance upon the protection of the divine providence those were all in their, their words though our nation was founded upon these principles without jesus no man woman or child can truly be free for only those who receive jesus christ as the lord and savior of their life can be clothed and covered in the garments of salvation it's only by receiving jesus as the savior and lord of your life can you be clothed in the garments of salvation covered in the robes of righteousness 246 years ago the signing of the declaration of independence that anniversary is tomorrow the dream of life liberty and the pursuit of happiness it still rings true to this day most of our founding fathers and mothers understood that without christ these dreams could never truly be realized sadly it seems that most of our leaders and citizens today are trying to obtain life liberty and the pursuit of happiness apart from christ and by doing so they are leading our nation toward destruction yes i meant to say that real loud i don't know why that happened <laughs> thankfully god is ready to restore when people turn their hearts to them
Second Chronicles 7, 13, and 14, then we'll close in prayer. When I shut up the heavens and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence, COVID, pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek my face, and turn to the, from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal, heal their land. Let's stand together. Father, I just pray that your people would do just that, that we would humble ourselves this day, we as a church. We know, Lord, that our land needs healing. And Lord Jesus, there are many who need to know the covering of the garments of salvation, the robes of righteousness. And many are seeking life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness apart from Christ. They're trying to find it apart from you, Lord God. And they will never have success. We praise you, Lord, for the rebuilding of foundations that have been torn down, Roe versus Wade, 50 years ago. A foundation, Lord, that was torn away from this country for nearly 50 years, Lord, set to be restored. Though state to state they can make their decisions, at the federal level there was a vote for life in our courts once again. I pray for the church, Lord, that we would not stop fighting for life, but, Lord, continue to fight in many different ways to be those who are willing to come alongside those who, mothers who find themselves in a situation that they perhaps rather not be in. May we be an encouragement to them and fight for life alongside them. May we fight for these foundations, this life in our own state that our governor has pledged to become that mecca of abortion, a place where women could flee to. It is not what we want, Lord. So help us fight for these truths. Help us, Lord, to be those trees that are planted by the river, trees of righteousness to the praise of your glory. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.